Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Brian K. Wright. Brian is an author, speaker, ghostwriter, host of Success Profiles Radio, founder of Success Profiles Magazine, and I'm super stoked that he made the trip up to be in studio today because he's doing a lot of the things that I want to do. And it's a rare occasion that you get the opportunity to match and model someone across the table from you. So thank you for being here. You're so very welcome. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, my friend. I appreciate your work. So I'm hoping that we can get a little color around what made you you. And I, th I think that I remember from a previous interview that you're not originally from the Valley. No, I grew up in Iowa. Mm. In fact, I like to joke that I was born in Illinois and when my family was nine months old, they moved to Iowa, but I found them again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but seriously, no, they did take me with them. <laughs> and I grew up in Iowa, a little town called Northwood. It's a small farming town in northern Iowa, which is four miles south of the Iowa-Minnesota border. Oh, wow. Right off of I-35. It's called Northwood. I graduated from a class of 58 people. Wow. So I knew who everyone was. I know that's not everyone's experience where you know everyone you went to high school with. Sure. But that was my experience. And there's benefits to that. On the flip side, when something happens, everyone knows your business, whether you want them to or not. <laughs> I can relate. I grew up in a blinky miss it town. So, you know, it, it was there. What was your experience growing up in a small town? Did you enjoy it? I did. I did. And I think growing up in a small town, in a small high school, I had a chance to experience uh, a lot of the things that I wanted to do. I went out for sports. I wasn't very good. I was a sophomore when I stopped playing basketball. There were the class I had, I mean, the class behind, we were both had really, really great athletes. In fact, we made state both years. Wow. From a small school like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's an achievement. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a part of those teams though, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but I did a lot of the extracurricular things, you know, speech, drama, swing choir, jazz band, mm -hmm. and really enjoyed all of that. I was in all the plays. We did um, Andy Get Your Gun one as a freshman. I auditioned for a small role and ended up being Sitting Bull. That was one of the leads. And so oh. everyone was a lead. That Everyone who was a lead was a senior except for me. Really? Yeah. Nice. And I auditioned for The Innkeeper, and that was a singing part. I wanted a singing part, but the lady directing the play put me as sitting bull and it's not a singing part, but it's a much, much larger part. Right. So that was really cool. And then we did Annie get your gun when I was a junior and I got to be captain Von Trapp. That's fantastic. Have you always been the type of person who's drawn to the arts? Yeah. Yeah. I've always enjoyed doing that. In fact, my freshman year in college, I tried being that active and I learned that it was such a different game. My freshman year, first semester, I was in oratorio choir. I was in marching band, the Iowa state marching band and I went out for speech mm -hmm. and it just got to be a lot, right? a lot. And so I decided not to do choir second semester. Marching band was over. I didn't do that after the first year, mm -hmm. but I kept doing speech because I figured that was the one of those three activities that was most likely to help me the most of my career going forward. I see. I see. Now, one of the things that stood out to me when I first came across your content was your voice. Thank you. You have an amazing, an amazing voice. And I'm just wondering if that was developed through the process of doing the speech courses, or was this something that you just naturally came with? I'm sure a lot of it had to do with practicing a lot. In fact, I get that feedback a lot. You have a radio voice. In fact, I tell people I have a face for radio. I said that to my mom once. She goes, no, you don't. I said, mom, you're supposed to say that. You're my mom. Exactly. Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. 
love you. It doesn't mean as much. <laughs> no, it, it, it does. It does. I mean, you know, not everyone has a great relationship with their parents. So right. I, I do receive that and own it. When someone tells me that, that's what, that's how I accept compliments now. I used to just say thank you. It's so easy to say, oh, thank you. You know, just kind of throw your hands in the air and go, oh, oh thank shucks. you. But it's like, yeah, shucks. Oh, thank you. But no, <laughs> I've put myself in the habit of saying thank you. I receive that and I own it. Mm. And it makes me internalize it and it makes me really, really think about that. Sure, sure. And it's an expression of greater gratitude. Mm-hmm. So when you say that to me, I, I receive that and I own it. And I thank you so very much for that. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that, man. And I, I'm a great fan of your work. The The little bit that I've been able to dive into just yeah. since we've been exposed with one has been fantastic. Oh, I you. listened to your Debbie Allen interview most recently and I had no idea some of the things she was talking about her experience and you were drawing that out. I thought yeah. it was fantastic. I had Debbie no idea Allen. that she was a business person. Oh, yeah. I knew her from her acting days. Oh, this is not the same Debbie Allen. Oh, different Debbie Allen. This is not the actor, dancer, choreographer, Debbie Allen. Oh, that's a different Debbie Allen. No, she's black. This Debbie Allen's white. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's all good. No, but Debbie Allen is um, the Debbie Allen that I interviewed and I've been friends with for quite a while. This is her ninth book coming up called Success is Easy. And I had her on my show to support her. In fact, we're doing some things together very, very shortly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had her on my show. She's going to be on the cover of the November issue of Success Profiles magazine. Fantastic. And in exchange for all that, she's doing an event in Scottsdale, November 21st through the 23rd. The high high expert, what is it called? Highly paid expert workshop. It's a three-day thing. And she's going to give me 10 minutes of stage time to present an opportunity to be in success profiles magazine and be on my show. Oh, that's amazing. So she's giving me stage time in exchange for me promoting her. So this is the beautiful thing Mm -hmm. about having a platform like a radio show, like a magazine, people chase you. You don't have to chase them nearly as much. Oh, it's so much more fun being chased. It Mm -hmm. really is. Mm -hmm. And you get to see how other people perceive you and you get to see how other people try and ask you for something. Sure. We talk about that because there's I've got some fun stories around <laughs> how people try and pitch me. God bless them. Um, <laughs> some of the pitches are really great. Some of the pitches, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I received an email from someone who wanted to collaborate with me okay. one time. And I even, don't even remember her name anymore. So naming names is not the issue because I don't remember. But she said, I'm a fan of your show. I think think we could have some really good synergy together it felt very woo woo and kind of gross just the way it was being presented then she told me what she did and then she says I want to talk to you some more hop on my calendar and we'll talk about this some more okay so here's the timeout. this sounds MLM-ish to me maybe it was but here's the huge timeout. if you want my time don't make me jump through your hoops to talk to you mm-hmm. you want something from me so right. you meet me when I have time you hop on my calendar. That's how this works. Right. Red flag number two, any monkey can say they're a fan of my show, but prove it. <laughs> prove it. I mean, I'll give you an example. When I asked Jack Canfield to come on my show, mm-hmm. I made it a point to edify him at the very beginning, say, Jack, I'm a big fan of your work. And right. I bought your book, The Success Principles, back in 2005 when it came out. Uh, that's the only book that I read all year long. I did some of your exercises and it really has been impactful to my life. So this is what mm-hmm. I've done. Not only have I edified him, I have proven to him that I have actually read the book. Right. And I told him how he's impacted my life. Mm-hmm. Now, if this lady would have done something like, not that I'm looking for a pat on the back, but if this lady would have done something like that, 
with me, then she would have proven that she actually does know my work and what I can do sure. and, and how we might be able to work together, but she didn't do that. Right. And so I didn't answer it. In fact, I saved the email as new. And then three days later, I thought, well, she said she was crazy busy. Let's hop on her calendar to see how crazy busy she is. 90% of her slots were available. Wow. Not taken, available. Wow. If you're going to create scarcity, make sure it's real. Yeah, or at least fake it really well. That, that's, uh, that's such a, an amazing point that you bring up. I think a lot of people forget that you know, success is win-win. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do to create a good experience for you, right? That, that's, all the, that's the only thing that's on my mind. Like, mm-hmm. if, if this is a podcast where you get to express yourself and you get to promote yourself and you get to talk about your ideas, and I don't say that much, to me, that's a, that's a win for both of us. Yeah. You know, I don't need to hear my own voice. Right. And at the end of the day, the way that you frame that was beautiful. I think a lot of people miss that, you know. Um, maybe that's step one for a course that you should create. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually have given some thought occasionally to creating some kind of a course where one of the modules is how do you reach out to people that you want to connect with? Sure. I, I and, and I'll just give a couple tips right now as long as we're on that topic. I would say, number one, go to events and live seminars. Mm-hmm. Go where they will be. For example, if you're going to go fishing, you're not going to search for the desert. You're going to search for a big pond. Right. So go where the fish are. Yeah, I think there's a... You know, obviously, you know, we were talking about this off mic, but humans, we all walk around with the programs running around in our head, right? And we Mm -hmm. all, we see someone on stage, or at least I know this happens for me from time to time when I see someone who's really had an impact on my life. And I think, oh, that person is so far above me. You know, they're up on this pedestal and I'm just Jason over here, you know? And in reality, I should be thinking, well, we're equals. We're doing different things. We're at different stages and and we're equals. And so when you're in that environment, you know, how do you approach someone because they're getting approached by a thousand people, sure. you know, hundred people at a time. What do you do to distinguish yourself? How does it go? Well, I go to events now with a very different agenda, I guess we can say, mm-hmm. because I'm looking for people to possibly collaborate with, mm-hmm. whether it's be on my show, be in my magazine or whatever presents itself. So when I'm connecting with the speakers on stage, I'll introduce myself and sometimes they know who I am and sometimes they don't, which is fine. And I, I'll say, I really would love to talk to you about doing an episode on my radio show, interview you for an hour, and I'll tell them who else I've interviewed, and usually they can say, yes, those are my friends. And that's the cool thing about interviewing at least one high-level person, because then you can start dropping a name. Oh, I know who that is. In fact, I do think that's why Jack Canfield came on my show, is because I presented his people with my website link, the, re- the reviews page, the testimonials sure. page. And Jack said on my show, you've interviewed a bunch of my friends. And I could very confidently say, yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have interviewed a bunch of your friends. It's true. And it's a true statement. It is a true statement. And I just was very matter of fact about it. Yeah, I have interviewed a lot of your friends. I'm glad you're here. Mm -hmm. So that's the beautiful thing. And get testimonials from people if they've had a good experience from you. If they've said, "I, I think you are really good at what you do. I'll say, can I get a testimonial from you when we're done? Sure. And, uh, it goes on my website and my marketing director puts it on my website for me. And so if someone were to go to brianckwright.com and click on the testimonials of the reviews page, you'll see reviews from um, Michael Port, uh, Dr. John D. Maturney from The Secret, uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Gittimer, James Malinchak, Jack Harrington. Canfield. Hmm? Kevin Harrington. Kevin Harrington. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did a really great one. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Horton, who's an Olympic gymnast, won a silver medal in Beijing in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a lot of really great testimonials. Charlie Brenneman, UFC uh, 
fighter, Rich Franklin, former UFC champion. That was a fun show. I can imagine. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, that one was only half an hour. His people insisted that he only had 30 minutes, and so mm. I respected that. Sure. As I was talking to him, I didn't get the impression that he felt that time limit, but I said, you know, your people did tell you you only had 30 minutes, so I want to respect that. And he didn't say, you know, he didn't say I want to go longer, and he didn't say he didn't, but yes. I wanted to respect what I was told. Sure. See, that's what you do. You mean, you when, when someone presents you with a boundary and it's a high-level person, you know, do do your best to respect that and I mean, some people probably would have said, hey, do you want to talk longer? Do you want to talk longer? And, you know, I I had no idea if he had another appointment or another call or another interview after me or not. But here's something else that I also know. Some people you can reach out to and they'll be on your show anytime. But sometimes people will only be on your show when they have something to promote. Mm -hmm. Think of The Tonight Show, for example. When you see um, Tom Cruise on The Tonight Show, he usually has a movie to promote. And he'll do the talk show circuit for about a week or two, and then you don't see him anymore until his next movie comes out. That's right. Any actor, any musician, you see Elton John on a show, he's usually on when he's got an album to promote, mm-hmm. or you know Dave Grohl, or, or you know Paul McCartney, or whoever it is, Madonna. Uh, they only are doing that circuit when they have something to promote, because they're busy doing other things. Oh yeah, for sure. And you want to honor that, absolutely. Absolutely, but, then, but there are some high-level people that will you know, be on your show whenever, you know, whenever their schedule permits because they are in a perpetual state of promoting something that they've already done. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I was listening to an interview with you earlier and you were, and someone had asked you the same question or a similar question. And you were talking about how you got access to these people. And, um, inside my head, I said to myself, he just asks. And then on the microphone, you go, I just ask. <laughs> I just ask. I just ask. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you could just dive down that for a little bit, because I know a lot of people have fear around that, right? Yeah. And so how do you overcome that? Or is that something that you've never had to face? You just have always been an outgoing individual. Oh, no, I'm like super introvert naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and a lot of entrepreneurs are. Yeah, it, it does take a level of boldness. And I did that hero worship thing for a long time. And a good friend of mine who has coached me said, Brian, you're just as good as these people are. They just are at a different stage. They figured it out before you did. That's all. They're skilled differently than you are. That doesn't mean they're better than you. So I just, I ask. And I think one of the key is, and I'll recommend a book. Um, what? Oh God, what is it called? It's by Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield. The Aladdin Factor. Okay. It's about the power of asking for what you want. You have to ask, you have to ask someone who's capable of helping you. Mm -hmm. That's really important. If you're asking the wrong person, the answer is always going to be no. Right. But if you're asking someone who is capable of helping you or delivering a result for you, that's always even better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the timing of it is really, really important too. But I just ask, I'll say, this is what I have going on. And Jack Canfield says something very interesting about this. If you don't ask, you're not going to have it. If you do ask and they say no, you're not going to have it. So you're in the same place, whether you don't ask at all or whether you hear no. Mm-hmm. But the upside is if you do ask, they could say yes. That's right. Or later. It's about creating the opportunity at yeah, least. Absolutely. At least not deciding for them or letting your ego decide for right. them. Right. Exactly. And I do have a short story about how I got Darren Hardy on my show because this illustrates the power of persistence and it illustrates what I said earlier about how someone is on these interviews to promote something. Mm -hmm. I had gone through his website and had asked 
Darren Hardy come on my show. And of course he has a team in front of him, just like a lot of these high level people do. And we had an interview scheduled. I bought his book. Sometimes these people will send you their book, but not always. So I bought his book, The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster, because mm-hmm. I wanted to read it. And five days before the show, I reached out to his team and I said, I'm looking forward to interviewing Darren on Monday. I got a response back. We are canceling all interviews going forward because some people have not been asking him about his book at all. And he's really irritated by that. So we are revetting everyone Mm. and rescheduling all over again. You can understand that. I can understand that. I was a little miffed that other people ruined the curve for me. Sure. But I wrote back and said, I totally understand Darren's frustration because obviously he was on the show on other people's shows for an express an explicit purpose. And that expectation got violated. If it makes you feel any better, I'm almost done reading his book. I'm almost done preparing the questions. And I would be very willing to share the list of questions I plan on asking if you would like to see it. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to see it. And I sent them and I said, the only reason I would deviate from this list is if he said something that I'm tailing off of. Otherwise, I'm sticking to this list. And I may not even ask all the questions on this list. This is probably more than we're going to get to. But this is the roster of questions from which I will speak. Right. And they gladly rescheduled a few weeks later down the line. And we had a brilliant show four mm-hmm. years ago. I think I think in my memories on Facebook today, that show happened four years ago today. Really? Yeah. What a coincidence. And he was in co- my Success Profiles Conversations High Achievers Volume 1. Fantastic. Yeah. Has there ever been a time when you were asking a high achiever someone that you were, you know, you really wanted to have on your show where you were intimidated? Intimidated? Not necessarily intimidated, but I I would say I was resisting the hero worshiping a little bit. Okay, yeah. Because sometimes you just really want to fall all over yourself letting someone know how wonderful you think they are. Mm. I think Darren Hardy probably was a little bit like that. It's like, I, I, he was talking and I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe he's on my show. I was a little bit that way with Kevin Harrington as well. Right. He was amazing. And right. we've interacted since. We've seen each other in person and emailed each other a few times mm-hmm. since. In fact, that's how my magazine started. Sure. Um, I had gotten the domain for successprofilesmagazine.com several years ago, and I was renewing it for the third year and realized I hadn't done anything with it yet. Oh, no. So wow. I said, Brian, you've got to do something with this. And you can't just be the one who's talking about doing it and never doing it. Cause we all know people like that. Yes, we do. They're all talk. So I made it an executive decision that day that I'm going to start the magazine. Wasn't sure how I was going to do it, but I thought, who do I want on my first cover? I had interviewed Kevin Harrington six months before that. And so I emailed him. I said, Kevin, I want to thank you once again for being on my show. I really enjoyed it. I have new things going on. I'm starting a magazine. And I'm only using uh, on my cover people who I've interviewed on my show. And I would love for you to be my first feature cover. No extra work is needed by you. No extra time is required of you. I will just curate material from the interview that we have already done. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is provide a a few photos. And one of them specifically, that would be great for a front cover because he's been on the front of magazines before. Oh, yeah, for sure. 90 minutes later, he emailed me back and said, let's do it. And then I put the magazine together. I knew he was speaking at an event the first weekend in December. A friend of mine was running it. And so I went for the express purpose of meeting Kevin Harrington. I was there mm-hmm. to support my friend, of course, but I was going to give a copy of this magazine to Kevin Harrington in person. Right, right. I was going to do it. And so I did. <laughs> and before the event started, uh, I was talking with my friend, Brandon, and then he had walked off because he had some 
things to do before the event started. I saw Kevin coming down the hall and we recognized each other instantly, even though we'd never met each other because we'd seen each other's pictures. And of course I knew who he was from Shark Tank. Right, of it's course. Like, Brian, hi, how are you? Shook hands, hugged it out. I said, I have something for you. He goes, oh, you do. I showed him the magazine. He says, I love being on the cover. I said, I'm sure you do. <laughs> and he says, is this a digital magazine? Or, and you just print copies like this to bring to events like this? I said, that's exactly what this is. It's an online magazine. I printed mm -hmm. a few and brought a few with me. And that, you may have that one. He said, part of my presentation is about digital marketing. May I hold this up in front of the crowd while I'm talking? Am I going to say no to that? <laughs> I said, yes, of course you can. Yeah. And so he did. In fact... In the venue, there was not a stage that was raised. It was, you know, he was, all the speakers were speaking from the floor. Mm -hmm. And he walked right up to me as he was walking to the front of the room. I was in the front row. He shook my hand, gave me a hug and said, thank you, Brian. I said, you're so welcome, Kevin. And a photographer was... Is this the photo on your website? The, yes, this is the photo on my Facebook profile. This is the cover photo. Yeah. And I didn't know that picture was taken until two weeks later. I will openly admit there were tears. I mm. had no idea someone snapped that photo and it was one of my favorite photos of all time. And it was really, just, there was just so much joy in that moment. It's amazing how much came out of that one ask. Yeah. You had the mm -hmm. audacity to ask. Mm -hmm. He ended up saying yes. Yes. And look what came of it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Got a lot of love. And I'm, I'm just, it, it's, it's astonishing to me how many times people allow themselves to stay small because they won't do the ask. Mm -hmm. And your ask was for an interview. That interview turned into a magazine cover, turned into promo in front of other business people, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you reap the benefit of all of that just because you had the sack to act, actually ask. Absolutely. And that yeah. cover, that picture is the cover of my Facebook profile. So when people mm -hmm. friend request me, they, they know yeah. that I know people. Yeah, I know people. Or have met people. That's probably <laughs> that's probably even more accurate. I've met people. I know some of them, but I've met people. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that. So let's walk back just a little bit. We uh, we jumped uh, jumped into your story and, and yes. got some amazing things out. But I'm curious about that boy uh, back in the Midwest who's going into the speech classes mm -hmm. and learning that. How does that how does that young man go from speech classes to getting involved with the, the message of high achievement and mm -hmm. then starting a radio show and yeah. then now a magazine? What happened between those two time points? I'll tell you what, there was a point in time where I was afraid of <clears throat> speaking. Mm. Now, my dad in his career did speeches. Okay. I avoided the speech class. But interestingly enough, my freshman year in high school, the speech coach, the speech teacher and speech coach said, Brian, you should do speech contest. I'm like, no. And there was, there was an experience that I had in junior high that made me say no. Uh, at church, I was appointed to say the Lord's Prayer in front of the congregation. I didn't take notes, and I forgot it halfway through. Oh, no. Thankfully, the congregation knew it, and they carried me to the finish line. But that was a little embarrassing. And then the girl who spoke after me had her piece of paper, and she was reading her piece of paper. I thought, oh, is that how this is going to go? That's interesting. I don't want to read to somebody. But she did, and she did fine. She did fine. Uh, but with that experience fresh in my mind, I said, I don't think so. And she said, tell you what, take the rule book home and read it. Read what the events are about. Maybe something will resonate to you. Mm -hmm. And so I did. One of the events was called Radio News Announcing. And the thing that jumped out to me was I didn't have to face my audience. What happens in this event, at least in the state of Iowa, you get a bunch of news stories. And you have a half an hour to curate a five-minute 
news broadcast. You cannot go over five minutes. It has to be between four and five minutes exactly. Okay. That exact time frame. You were in a separate room with a mic and someone who is holding up timing cards. You have this much time left, four minutes, three minutes, two minutes, etc. And the volume or the noise was pumped into the next room where the judges and the audience were sitting. So it's like they were hearing a radio broadcast because they couldn't see me and I couldn't see them. Mm-hmm. And I got a one at district. I got a one at state. And I said, this was fun. Let's do this again next year. And she says, you can't. And I said, why not? The rules prohibit you from doing the same event the following year. If you got a one, mm-hmm. you have to try something else. I'm like, oh, I have to face an audience now. Interesting. But I had a good experience. By the time I was a senior, I made all state. Mm. So I got pretty good. Now this was, was this sponsored by the school system? Yeah, it was. Fantastic. I, I had, we didn't have this opportunity when I was growing up, I don't think. Yeah, so uh, there is uh, a statewide organization that governs the speech activities and the contests that mm-hmm. go on. And our school participated in, in these contests. And so it was just once a year district in the spring and then state, like maybe two, three weeks later. And then there was an Allstate. I didn't know there was an Allstate speech exhibition. It wasn't a competition. It was more of an exhibition. Mm-hmm. But my senior year, another girl and I got notified that we made Allstate. I said, wow, I didn't know this existed. That's pretty cool. So that was fun. So I decided I was going to do speech in college. And so I did speech competitions my whole four years in college. Really? And by the time I was a senior, uh, I went to nationals, which were out here at Arizona State. So I got to experience ASU. Big, big campus. And I did really well in several of my events. One in particular, communication analysis. They usually take 24 people to the quarterfinals. There was a tie for 24th based on speaker points. So they took 25 to the quarterfinals. I was number 26. No way. I just missed. Wow. I was a little bummed that I didn't qualify for the out rounds. But when the tournament was over and we got to see our scoring sheets, when I realized I was next out, I didn't feel bad at all. Mm. And the day that the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals happened happened to be my birthday. So I got to celebrate my 23rd birthday in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. Was that your first exposure to the state? Yes. Amazing. Did you fall in love with it then, or was that I did. I didn't realize I was going to end up out here permanently. That was in 1988. In 1995, I came out here to visit my cousin, who lived out here with his family. And I spent a few days out here just... You know, we did some sightseeing and just visiting. Sure. A year later, I ended up out here. And so I lived in West Phoenix for a while. I lived in Mesa. In fact, I lived about a mile and a half from the hotel that we stayed at for nationals. (laughs) I drove by that hotel almost every single day. must have made an impression that area. Yeah. 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 I mean, I ended up out there. I'm like, oh, this is the... And then we went went across the street to Fiesta Mall. Mm -hmm. Thriving. It's dead now. Fiesta Mall's dead. Mm. I'm sad about that. I haven't been down that way in quite some time. I know there's lots of new build, new construction down that way the last time I was there. A lot of, uh, there's a huge apartment complex that got built. Mm. So when you went through the speech competitions, obviously you learned that you had an aptitude for doing this, mm-hmm. right? And it, I'm assuming mm-hmm. at this point, the the church scar had healed. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're well on your way to doing great things with this, right? Right. So did you carry this into a career at this point or was that much later? Uh I did. I did. Uh, I went to graduate school right after this. My parents tried to talk me out of it. They said, we're not going to help you. I said, you won't have to because I'll have a graduate assistantship. Mm -hmm. But after the first year, I was burned out. And so I dropped out of graduate school and ended up in a call center for a while. And then I ended up selling insurance for about a year. And then I realized this 
graduate school thing that I left undone. I have to finish it. I don't care what my degree is in. I just have to prove to myself that I can do it. Right. And so I did. And so I went back to academia and ended up teaching at a two-year business college called Lincoln School of Commerce. It's now no longer, it's, it's defunct, it's closed. It went through several iterations after it got sold. It became a Kaplan school, but it's closed now. But I did that. So that communication really helped because I taught public speaking, English composition, and business math. You might think that's an odd combination of classes. Well, they were all required. Right. They were all required classes. Mm-hmm. So they weren't the fun, quote unquote, classes. You know, they weren't classes in your major. I wasn't teaching computer or accounting or business administration or fashion design. I wasn't teaching any of those courses. I was teaching speech, English, and math. Some people loved those courses and some people dreaded them and Mm -hmm. would continually drop the course and sign back up again. And I would tell them, you have to have this course to graduate. I mean, dropping the class and you can't keep dropping this class. You have to have this class to graduate. What is going on? Yeah. Let's talk through this. That's a, yeah, it's a, I remember the college days as well. There was lots of uncertainty, lots of kids who really didn't know what they were doing. And we, I remember questioning why I had to take these quote unquote required classes that didn't relate to the thing that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit of rebellion in me. So I'm not sure maybe they were experiencing some of that Mm -hmm. as well. Maybe. And I would tell people if there's a required class like public speaking, don't save it to your last class because if you are struggling you, you, I mean, you have to complete the class. Right. I would recommend taking it before you really, really have to. That way, if something comes up, you can try again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the yeah. public speaking class, I, I think for young kids, especially nowadays, as fragile as they are, would be a very difficult one to, yeah. to take. Yeah, it is. And there's no guaranteed safe space when you're speaking. Because you have to speak, I'm you assuming. Ha- you have to speak, yeah. absolutely. In fact, I took public speaking in college during summer school after my freshman year Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to wait. And I knew that because seniors in their major had to take that class, they were given first priority. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I took it in the summer, it would be easier to get into the class. Right. And it was, it was much easier to get into the class. So I took that and I took a psychology class. It was a big lecture, like 40 or 50 people in the class met three times a week. And there was this one, couple who I swear was using this psychology class as their personal therapy session. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. I, I felt like saying, pay the man his hourly rate and do it in private. But you, 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 you can't be the obnoxious person in the class and say that. <laughs> well, I probably good. would today, but then no, I would not have. I'm a lot more outspoken now. I'm less worried about what people think of me now than I was then. Isn't that a great thing to be, though? It's like, liberating. How free do you feel? It's awesome. Right? It's awesome. Mm-hmm. If there's one skill that you could learn as a younger person, I wish that was it. Yeah. You know, to really be able to have this ability to really put who you are in front of people. Yeah. So that you can go ahead and practice telling them to screw off when they, <laughs> right? you know, when they, when they show up sideways kind yeah. of thing. People like that tend to be viewed as the crab that's trying to crawl out of the bucket. Yeah. And the other crabs try and pull you back. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So violating other people's expectations is just never received well. Mm, true. Very true. And I've never really been afraid to be my own person and do what I want. In fact, one person wrote in my high school yearbook, I appreciate and respect you for not being afraid of what other people think of you. Mm. I thought that was a very kind thing for her to say. It, I wasn't. 
trying to be that way, but this was how I was being received. And I thought that's actually really cool. I think that's evidence though, of how fearful younger people and even a lot of older people are when it comes to being judged by other people. You know, I mean, that's one of the highest compliments that you could get. It actually is. It actually is. And I really, to an extent, really didn't care. I mean, sure. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked. There was a real tension there between I want to be really liked, but yet I want to do my own thing. Right but you're not always going to be liked for doing your own thing. Sometimes those things are mutually exclusive. Yeah. They are. Sometimes yeah. they are. Absolutely. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Yeah. So after the, the, uh, public speaking, uh, the teaching piece, is that when the entrepreneurial spirit kicked in? When did that come bit. into your life? Yeah, a little bit because I decided because in my teaching career, we were teaching six week courses. And so the new term started every six weeks. Sure. We met our classes four times a week for two hours a day. We always had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. Beautiful to have a job where you always have Friday (laughs) off. On the flip side, it doesn't pay quite as well. Right. And so we were actually encouraged to get second jobs. Mm. And so I decided to start writing resumes for people on the side. And I built that up and started making some money. And then at one point in time, we got a director of admissions who didn't believe in yellow page advertising. This was pre-internet. So yellow pages was still a big thing. He took our yellow page out, yellow page ad out and didn't renew it one year. He was there for only nine months. And now we know why it's because yeah. enrollment declined significantly during his time there because we didn't have the yellow page inquiries anymore. Right. So when your enrollment goes from 450 to 250, you don't need as many teachers on staff. And yeah. so I was, uh, moved to part-time and then eventually not offered a class at all because there just wasn't enough to go around for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the people who had been there for decades obviously had priority. Right. I'd only been there for two, three, four years at the time. So your desire was sort of given to you at this point, I'm yeah, assuming? Yeah, it was. It was. And, you know, when you're running a private college, it's run like a business, which I respect. But sometimes when you're running a college like a business, it's not you make decisions that aren't always for the best good of the students. Sure. Trying to cram 27 people in an English class where you have to grade all their papers. That's not cool. Right. But again, there's always attrition after the first week or two, I ended up with about 17 to 20 and that was much more manageable. (laughs) So that's fine. And in a speech course, the same thing you're hearing 27 people do a speech, but again, people tend to drop that class a lot. People tend to stick around in the math classes a little bit more. Oh, you think so? In my observation, yeah. they did. You're referring to the business math? The business math, yeah. 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 A little easier to see the sense and logic, I guess. Yeah, it is because there's an exactness to it. Sure. And there's a method by which you have to arrive at the problem, mm-hmm. the, the solution to the problem. It was, it was interesting because part of the course was very remedial learning decimals and fractions. I mean, this is stuff I learned in second, third, fourth uh, grade. Grade school, yeah. That was the first chapter in this book. And some people struggled mightily with it. It was really eye-opening. It says a lot about our school systems. It does. It does. And by the time we got to the end of the course, we were calculating interest, bank interest loans. Mm-hmm. And so that's quite a bit far removed from learning how to calculate decimals and fractions. Yeah, 100%. That's a, it's a, it's a departure. Very much so. For sure. So then the, once you, once you realized that there wasn't going to be a future there at the private school and you started writing the resume piece, mm-hmm. what did you end up doing with that? Obviously you grew that into a, a smaller business. Yeah, I did. Right? I ended up 
getting an office in a Sears store. They okay. they were basically sponsoring franchises to have resume writing be in their stores. Sears and Roebuck. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I was in there for a couple of years. My business started doing much better because now I could say I was in a Sears store. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting when you start to own your power and people who are well-established in the marketplace, they really want to try and squash you. There's some not very ethical business people out there. Of course. In fact, I remember one time when I was still running my business out of my apartment, this same competitor talked two of my appointments out of an appointment. They were both young women. And she started planting the seed of, do you really want to go to a guy's apartment that you don't know? And I thought, wow, you little, mm, mm, mm. Wow. And so I made the decision that I'm, you know, I was offered this opportunity. I'm like, I'm going to do it. And so now she didn't have that over me anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's also very interesting is there was a monthly business magazine that was being published. And this lady, my competitor, had been writing articles, feature articles for them every month. But her articles started getting overly promotional and they didn't like that. And so they hired me and fired her. (laughs) So she really didn't like me. I think I was taking some of her business away from her. Yeah, I'm sure you were at that point. But I eventually decided I really needed to move along because people asked me every once in a while, is this lucrative? And like, it pays my bills. Mm -hmm. That's about it. There really wasn't a really great way to scale it. Again, this was before the internet. So I was buying yellow page ads in yellow page books in surrounding communities. This is when I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, and for people who don't remember the yellow pages, it was expensive. Yes, it was. It was very expensive. And I advertised in the student newspaper. I advertised in a coupon book. And I think there was one other thing that I'd, oh, the the student, yeah, the student newspaper on on campus. Mm -hmm. I got some leads. In fact, I remember one day, I was on campus at the University of Nebraska and they had a Burger King in the union and there was a place to drop off a business card. So I dropped off a business card and a few days later, somebody called me and says, yeah, I saw your business at Burger King. I'm like, what are you talking about? Apparently you want a free lunch because your business card is displayed. I'm like, oh really? Thank you. And so of course I went to go claim my free lunch at Burger King the next day, (laughs) but I got a client out of that. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You just never, I didn't, wasn't even thinking that business was going to result out of it. I just thought, I'll just throw my card in the ring, see if I get a free lunch out of yeah, it. See what happens. Yeah. So it's all about not being afraid to, to do something different. Yeah. It's kind of like a different version of the ask. Yeah. Put it out there and put look what there, happened. Put it out there and see something what happened. happened. Right. You gave yourself an opportunity. Absolutely. But I did eventually move to Arizona because I liked it when I came out here. Mm-hmm. I thought there would be more opportunities. There were more opportunities. They weren't all necessarily better opportunities, but there were more opportunities. Mm-hmm. It took a while for me to find my way. About a year and a half after being here. Were you still doing the resume writing at this point? No, I, I stopped when I moved out, out, of, out of Nebraska. In fact, I stopped resume writing before I left Nebraska and tried finding a job and there was nothing satisfying. There was just, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think there was really much for me there anymore. I feel like my path had to go elsewhere. I was being led to do something different. Sure. So I did. And about a year and a half after I got out here, I ended up in a call center, which I stayed with for gosh, four and a half, five years. I did some time on the phone. 
Oh, the languaging on that was interesting. <laughs> I did some time on the phone. I was um, a supervisor for a while. I ended up being the payroll manager for a while. And this company had grown to three locations. And so I did payroll every week for 400 employees. Yeah, I worked a lot of hours, but I was mm. making some decent money. And I also, in some organizations, was the trainer, not in this organization. Um, but I was in the call center world for a good long time. Mm -hmm. And I eventually decided to start doing my radio show in 2012. And that turned out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made. It's my happy hour. Mm -hmm. I, look forward, it's, I look forward to it because I purposely have it on Monday. People hate Mondays. I made my show on Monday, not only because I wanted to give myself something to look forward to, but it also enables me to prepare for my show on the weekends. Sure. That gives me two extra days of prep time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So why radio show? There, out of all of the things that you could have done, why choose the radio show? Well, by this time, you know, the internet was alive and thriving and you can connect and do your show without your guest being with you. Mm. It gave me a chance to interview some of my heroes and people that I respected and really honestly uh it's an opportunity for me to ask the questions that i've always wanted to ask people in front of the world it's almost like a free coaching session yeah really for sure i mean darren hardy charges thirty thousand dollars an hour to speak he did he does these interviews for free when he's you know when he's promoting something mm -hmm. and it's because they always think that something will come out of it so i mean in the podcasting world i mean there are a few people that that charge you to be on their shows i don't know anybody who charges to be a guest. Mm -hmm. I've not heard of that. Doesn't mean it's not going on out there, but I just love doing it. And I read a book called conversations with millionaires once by Mike Lippman and Jason Oman. And Jason has been on my show. We're, we're friends, but he interviewed a lot of these really top personal development and business people like Mark Victor Hansen and Jim Rohn before he died and Jack Canfield mm -hmm. and Wally Amos and Debbie Fields. And the transcriptions of those interviews constituted a book. I thought, I want to do that. But I have to interview enough high-level people to warrant that. Sure. And then finally, I was able to do that. I had a contract with Morgan James Publishing. They loved the idea. And they said, we've done interview books and we've seen interview books. Not a lot of them are done very well. But once I turned in my manuscript, they said, this one was really well done. We will absolutely get behind this. So they published that book. And Conversations Volume 2 is coming out very, very soon. Congratulations, by Thank the you. way. That's going to so be fantastic. Much. You said later this month, I believe? Yes, later this month uh, is, is the goal yeah. in October, hopefully. I just reviewed the second version of the proof, and I'm, my goal in the next couple of days is to review that and make sure that all the things that I wanted them to change got changed, mm. and then we'll decide on a release date, and I'm hoping that is this month. We'll be doing a huge Amazon best-selling book launch, so we're going to go to number one. Definitely. We'll also link that up in the show notes for sure awesome. for anyone who wants to, to get a copy of that. Yep. I'm curious, after listening to you speak, or, or, or maybe I should rephrase that, after, after interviewing so many people in the personal development world, in the high achievement world, you know, what has been your largest sort of takeaway from that? You know, I mean, I, I think a lot of times people think of personal development, they think of broken people. You know, they think of people who are lacking in a lot of ways. And for me, I think of it as people who want to level up from wherever they are. Yeah. And I'm wondering what your take on the whole personal development world is. I think, I, I think you're right on both counts. I think there are a lot of people who recognize how broken they are and they just, they want to be fixed. They, they want a solution mm -hmm. and they really want to believe in somebody 
to help them, whether it's a book, whether it's a personal mentor or something. And there are other people who go into it realizing, you know what, I, I'm happy with where I'm at, but I know there's something bigger to move toward. For me, I was just interested in it because it expanded my way of thinking. The first personal mm-hmm. development book that I really, really read was The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. Now, that book was written in the 50s. So if you're looking at the numerical examples, just know that those examples are 50 or 60 years old. Sure. When he talks about buying a house for $20,000, good luck. <laughs> you won't be doing that anymore. You won't get much of a house. Not even a tiny house. I don't think you'd get that for 20000 Maybe. I don't know. But just the idea that you can think big. In fact, one of my favorite examples from that book was he uh, bought, it was either he or the person that he was referring to as the example, bought a giant plot of land like 10 or 20 miles outside a major city. Mm-hmm. And he decided to subdivide it and sell the sublots to people and pitch them the idea of building their dream house, their acreage, mm-hmm. their getaway. And he subdivided this lot into like 10 lots or whatever it was. And he sold all of them and he probably doubled his money, if not more. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, you could do that? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And I think that just speaks very boldly to the idea that sometimes there aren't rules. Sometimes you just have to define what those rules are for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, you were talking about your first personal development exposure. Yeah. One of the, one of the original ones for me was uh, Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret, right? Yeah. Great. And then the more modern version was Kiyosaki, of course, whom I'm sure you're well aware of here in town. Yep. And he talks about that. He talks about how you make money creating the derivative of a thing. So you're, yeah. you're in your example, he bought a plot of land and the derivative of the thing was the lots. Yeah. Someone who has an orange grove takes the oranges and creates a derivative of orange juice or whatever the thing is. Right. And it just requires a little bit of thought, thinking outside of, of the norm, really not the box, but the norm and then taking a risk. Yeah. And that's where you have the crabs in the barrel mentality that you're talking about where people right. are going to tell you it's going to be risky. It's going to be risky. You, you could fail. You could lose all your money. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, that's a possibility, but I'm willing to take that shot for the chance at something greater. And for me, like when I think of personal development, I think of that. I think of you hit the word that you used, expansion, expanding your mind, expanding your exposures. I think of that and I think of why wouldn't you, you know, whether you look at the, that world or that industry as a bunch of broken people or you look at it as, as a bunch of people who want to level up. Why would you not want to see those people or be one of those people who was yeah. constantly expanding? Right. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. So when you're when you're uh, looking at all of the track record of the that you've created in terms of your interviews, you created a derivative of the book, right? Now you have a second version coming up. Mm-hmm. What's yes. next? That's a really really great question. Well, this is something that easily evolves into a series. Mm. I mean, I'm approaching episode number 350. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That's going to happen probably about six weeks from now. That's a huge achievement. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't thinking this far ahead that I'd still be doing this. Not that I was envisioning something else capturing my attention because I love this so much. Mm-hmm. But you just never know how long something like this will last. So I'm very happy and grateful for that. I'm doing my magazine. What I'm doing now is I'm also editing magazines for other people. There's a networking organization in town called Network Together. I'm doing their quarterly magazine that just completed this week and the printed copies will be ready next week. And I also have an agreement to edit 
Rainmaker magazine for Bill Walsh every quarter. Nice. Yeah, he speaks all over the place. He's been on my show twice. We've been connected for a good long while, and so I'll be helping him with Rainmaker magazine. He's printed out 50,000 copies of those every quarter. So that's going to be a huge opportunity. So if anyone wants to get in front of his high-level people, reach out to me if you want to contribute or advertise because that's going to be a massive opportunity for people. 100%. He's a great speaker, by the way. He is. He's amazing. He really is. I think he's underrated. He brings such value. In fact, um, I've interviewed him twice. In fact, he's going to be in Conversations Volume 2. In fact, I just met him... Uh, well, not met him. I've I've seen him several times. I had a meeting with him on Tuesday. He was in town, and we were discussing the magazine and what that was all going to entail and just planning it out, and we're having a goal of making that available by mid-December for his Ultimate Wealth Camp. Oh, that's coming up quick. Then. It's coming up quick. I'm like, yeah. oh, you're not messing around. Right. That's interesting. So now I'm realizing the importance of having people around me who can help me with things. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting how reciprocity works, isn't it? It is. Especially when you have the right ask, the, the yeah. thing that you were touching on earlier. Right. You know? And this is this is the thing. People want from you without realizing that you have to give first. Mm-hmm. I had somebody, I've had a couple of people ask me to connect them to Darren Hardy. Mm-hmm. And I... The, the first person I'm thinking of specifically, we've, we've talked and chatted a few times. We're not like super close, but I said, yeah, I'll reach out for you. And the response I got back was, thank you so much for thinking of Darren, but he's not actively promoting anything at this time, which is where the whole tonight show analogy came to me. It's like, oh, there's a big, big moment right there. Big aha moment. Some of these people will only do this when they're actively promoting something like we talked about before. Right. And he's one of them. So there's, there's something to be said for earning the right to ask. Yeah. I think Mike Dillard was talking about this on his podcast. Uh, He was, someone had asked him when their particular episode would be released and he had, his response was basically, well, it depends on the promotion schedule of the previous guests. So he might have a recording that's happening now that may not be posted until three or four months down the road, just simply because that coincides with what they want to promote. And you have to respect that because the person's giving you their time, right? Right. So you want to reciprocate and give them exactly Mm -hmm. what they're asking for in terms of that coverage. Yeah. just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And my show's live, so Mm -hmm. it's ready an hour after after it's done, unless there were some glitches that my producer has to fix. Are you broadcasting live? Yes. Oh, wow. Live radio. Nice. Live internet radio. And I, and I mean, I have a rule about my show. You cannot say any bad words on my show. (laughs) I mean, some people, you know, they think, oh, it's internet radio. It's no big deal. Well, that's my rule. Yeah. Yeah. That's my rule. I mean, that's it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's fair. You're coming into someone else's home. Hey. Uh live by their rules exactly simple as that yeah i had a guest one time who i i I know is very sailorish in his conversational style and there were a couple times where i could tell he was fishing real hard for a different word and i just said (laughs) god thank you so much god thank you so much for letting him find a different word (laughs) and he did i'm like and i i thanked him for that afterwards i'm like i know that you were searching really hard for another word i really really do appreciate that you respect me and my audience for that that's fantastic yeah so that so the the young man who couldn't finish the lord's prayer is now doing a weekly live broadcast online yeah (laughs) yeah isn't that crazy (laughs) i think you've come a long way my friend i have yes yes you have that's quite the journey I received that note. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Did you start it that way? Has it always been live from the get-go? Yes. Oh, wow. It has. And, and so your intention with that was what? 
uh, in terms of starting the show? Well, just in terms of having it be live. That's the way the station does it. Oh, okay. So that's their you. thing. So you jumped in. I just jumped in. Right on. They said it's live radio. I said, okay, mm-hmm. great, fantastic. Now, when there are technical glitches, that makes life really hard. I can imagine. Did you experience a bit of a learning curve as you, I you did. Know, entered into that world? I did. I'm much better at interviewing now than I was when I started. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very fair thing to say. And I think one thing I really learned, I, I try to listen back to all of my episodes, at least in part, because I learn. Because it's like watching a movie. You don't catch everything the first time around. Mm-hmm. And when I'm doing a live show, part of my mind is focused on how much time do I have left? Which of these questions can I ask next without violating the time limit to break? Right. And I am listening, but part of me is listening for when are you going to be done talking? So I got to ask my <laughs> next question, which is a horrible thing to admit. But when I'm trying to manage the the production of a show at the same time. It kind of has to be that it, way. It has to be that way a little yeah. bit because there are timelines <clears throat> with live radio that you have to respect. Right. If this was a podcast where it doesn't matter how long it is, right. then who cares? I'll just cares? ask my next question. Yeah. If However goes, it goes. But with live radio, it, it's not really like that. And sometimes when the guest misses the time signal or just blows right through the stop sign, I have to cut them off and that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've learned, and you asked me what have I learned, what was the grow, growing curve like, I realized that sometimes I would tell a story right after they did, basically with the spirit of, yes, I've experienced that too, but I sometimes wonder if I did it with the experience of, well, yeah, well, my story is. Oh, like in competition. A little bit. And I realized, gosh, you know, someone could, not that that was my intent, but someone could read that into it. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I started becoming really aware of just letting my guest be the star of the show Mm -hmm. because some hosts have to be the star of the show. And that can be irritating and and yes. you're not like that. Yes, thankfully. It can be very irritating. Yeah, no. And I appreciate that you give me the opportunity to shine and, and you're great at this, by the way. Well, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Re- uh... Receive that. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been on shows where the host had to be the star and, and I think I heard a few of those actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was gonna, yeah. Not to interrupt you. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, I understand, but yeah, it, and there's a huge difference, you know, between letting the guest be the star and you as the host wanting to be the star, because sometimes you will make yourself look good at the expense of your guest. That's not a great way to have that guest come back. Yeah. And I'm sure from, you know, as someone who does this, right, you can, you sense that you're not really appreciated. Like right. that, that's the sense that I got when I'm listening right. to people in their constantly interrupting you or interrupting you to sell some shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a four letter word here. Yeah. It's my show. It's your show. And, uh, it's just really, really bad form and annoying. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it'd be one thing if you're, if you have an audience of millions and yeah. you have paid ads coming through and it, yeah. and, and you can slice it up so that it makes sense. Yeah. But in one of the interviews, I don't remember whom, and I wouldn't name them if I did, but it seemed like you were being interrupted like every five or six minutes just to sell something. Yeah. And the show was like 45 minutes long. It made yeah. no sense to me. Was this recent? Uh, I don't remember the date. I just pulled up all the ones that I found you on and started listening. If it, that, uh, if it that an, happened for an older gentleman, I believe. Yeah. If that happened yeah. in the last maybe three weeks or so, I know exactly what we're talking about. And it was really annoying. So if, and you, I also was not, I also was not given an opportunity to tell people where to find me at the end uh, of the show. So bad. Yeah. That was really bad. So I'm not going to name these guys, but they nope. probably sure they knew who they are. <laughs> if they yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I can completely relate to that, man. Yeah. Such bad form, such bad form. Actually, one of the things that you said in one of your interviews, I wanted to ask you about. Sure. 
this was something that I wrote down as a quote because it hit me really hard. Mm. And I think you were being asked about doing something you enjoy, right? And you had said something along the lines of, if you get good at doing something you don't enjoy, the world's going to reward you by giving you more of it to do. Exactly. And I was like, wow, that it's is true so though, right? profound. It is, right? It's true, But that's though. the trap, yeah. right? That's the trap that so many people fall into. Because I was in the call center world for years, mm-hmm. and... I tried getting different kinds of jobs for a while and, you know, I, I wanted to get back into teaching and training, but well, you haven't been in the classroom for 20 years. It's not like I forgot how to teach, but they saw me in this role. And so that's where they wanted to start me. And mm-hmm. so that's where I came up with that little nugget is if you get really good at something you don't enjoy doing, the world's just going to keep asking you to do more of it. That is so, so powerful. Yeah, it is. Thank you. And so you have to make an active choice to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that cycle, breaking that cycle means creating your own game, i.e. starting your own business. Right. Because if you keep playing the game by someone else's rules, there's really not a, a way for you to win the game. That's true. If you keep evaluating who you are based on someone else's scoreboard, you're never going to come out looking good. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the, the game is set for you. You don't have a decision. You don't, you know, you just have to play it. Yep. And speaking of games, one of the ones that you play that we haven't discussed, and I'm wondering if you can give us some color around, is this this role of being a ghostwriter. Yeah. I think a lot of people understand what that means, but not a lot of people understand what goes into it. And yeah. I'm sure there's quite a bit behind the scenes that no one understands. Yeah, basically what that means is I write your book for you and my name is not on it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea of being a ghostwriter means I'm anonymous. It's your book. Right. Now, I have a client whose book is coming out in December, and he insisted that I have co-author credit. Well, that was kind of him. That was very kind. I said, that's really generous. He says, I couldn't have done this without you. So I appreciate that. But what I do is I help people draw out their story. And people will hire a ghostwriter either because they don't have time to write it themselves They don't know if they have something legitimate to say. They know they want to impact the world somehow, but they're not sure what they want to do. Or they just don't think they're good writers and they just don't want to deal with it. They want to stay in their own zone of genius and and let me be in mine. Mm -hmm. So we talk about that and I I write their books for them and we do a series of recorded interviews so that I have material to work with. And we figure out in advance what the themes and topics are going to be. I've got a few projects that I'm working on right now. Really, really fun stuff. I worked with a client whose book came out in May. It's called The LinkedIn Book for Network Marketers, mm. for network marketing. And his reason for that title was brilliant because if you're in the bookstore and you're network marketing, you're like, I'm looking for a book about how about LinkedIn and how network marketers use it, but I don't know what it's called. And they'll type it up. It's like, well, we have the LinkedIn Book for Network Marketing. That must be it. Even if it wasn't the book they had in mind, it is the logical choice. (laughs) It is the logical choice. Right. So for SEO purposes, that's how we did it. That's a beautiful title, actually. It is. And it's selling very well. And he's gotten so many opportunities. He's speaking on stages now. Mm -hmm. He had a coaching program already. It's expanded. Really? Because now more people are in his world. So what's that like when you see the fruits of your labor hit the shelf or hit Amazon or wherever? Oh, it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful thing. In fact, when my last book hit Barnes & Noble. That was the first time I'd worked with a publisher. I worked with Morgan James Publishing. And on release day, a good friend of mine and I went to Barnes & Noble and said, Joe, come with me. I have to see if it's in the store. (laughs) And it was. He took a picture of me and that was one of my most liked and commented pictures of last year. Right. And I, 
I just needed a hug that day. I was so excited. That's amazing. <laughs> but that's you as as you being yeah. exposed as you. But yeah. but when it's you writing for someone else and you're not getting the exposure, what's yeah. it like to see that? Is it I'm is happy it, for them because I know I did it. Right. The world doesn't have to. Sure. And sometimes my clients in their acknowledgement sections will point me out or mm-hmm. shout me out for helping them put the book together. Could right. Without you, whatever. Sometimes they don't. And I, I, tell them, I tell them, you can, you don't have to. There's absolutely no pressure. Still love you either way. <laughs> some do and some don't. But I do right. appreciate it when they do shout me out for helping them with, with this big, massive project. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, because it is such a huge thing. I mean, to sit down and create all of that content. There's a part of me that wants to ask you if, if there's any sort of idea of that just being disingenuous. You know, I mean, obviously you're doing interviews with people and you're, you're collecting their ideas, but then you're converting them into your words. If they claim those words as their own, is that not disingenuous in a way or not? If you're giving them credit, I see because I'm interviewing them. I, Mm -hmm. they consented to being on my show. Mm -hmm. And so they were there to promote their message. I'm just repackaging this in another form. Sure. People who didn't hear the show might read the book. People who have read the book may not know that it's based on a show right. until they read it. People who have heard my show may not know I do a magazine. So it all synergizes together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting where people find you. You know, some people might find you because of this. Other people might find you because of this. Other people might find you because of this. Right. But the super fans will buy everything you do. And that's a small percentage. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those people who are super, <laughs> super fans, fans of, yeah, of exactly. Led Zeppelin, for example, they will buy anything Led Zeppelin did. Oh, yeah. They'll buy anything that Taylor Swift does, if that's your thing. Yeah. Yep. Super fan will buy everything you do. And not think twice about it. And not think and twice about price. it. any price. Even if it's terrible, which sometimes it is, because not everyone has a hit every time. That's right. That's right. Amazing. Yeah, I just always wondered about that, because you know that a lot of these guys who, and or I should say, ladies and gentlemen who are high profile, you know that their schedules are packed. And it's very... It's, it's a reach for me to sit down and think that, okay, this person actually set aside time to, to create all of these pages. Yeah. And you have to wonder how much of the pages that you read actually came from that individual versus came from the mind of a, a fantastic ghostwriter. Yeah. He's making them look good, you know? Well, what I do, because we do recorded interview sessions, it is in their words. Mm. And then where it needs to be edited and polished, I do. There needs to be an intro chapter. There needs to be a concluding chapter. Sometimes the person might not say a lot about a topic. I might go back and ask them if there's anything that they want to add to it. Or if I know what we can add to it, I just automatically do it. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a little flavor of me in there, but it's usually them. Right. It's usually them. What do you enjoy doing more, the, the personal projects or the ghostwriting projects? I think it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Really? I think so. I think so. Because some of the projects I get to work on are so interesting. In fact, one friend of mine whose book came out in May, it was about overcoming drug addiction. He was addicted for years, ended up in jail four times before he finally realized he was at his rock bottom. Wow. It cannot be like this anymore. I have to be able to see my kids. Mm -hmm. I can't live like this anymore. And so then he went to recovery and that whole journey through recovery and everything he went through. And now he's a substance abuse counselor in California. I'm super proud of him. And I'll tell you what, here's another benefit writing a book. His 
confidence is so much higher now than it was before. It's a beautiful thing to behold, watching someone just flourish right where they're at. And why do you think that is? Because now they have something tangible to show the world. I actually really did this and people have been buying his book and people want to read it. Mm -hmm. And so he's gotten some speaking opportunities. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think confidence really comes from doing hard things. Yeah, it does. And he has said this was on his bucket list for six years. And he talked about doing this book with me six years ago, maybe not quite that long, but it's been, (laughs) it was a long time before he finally said, okay, let's do this. But I waited for him. Mm -hmm. He had to feel like he was ready for it. Right. And this is a thing where you can't, twist someone's arm. It's not a sale where you can bully someone into doing it. I mean, you're talking about helping someone achieve a life bucket list dream. That's a huge creative pursuit. I mean, they have to want it badly Mm -hmm. enough. Is it something that you are committed to or something you're just interested in doing? Right. Right. And you have to be ready for it. You have to be ready to share with the world because Mm -hmm. if you're still at a place where you're still hiding that message from the world, I don't know that I'm the right person to help draw that out. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, I'm not a counselor. Sure. But I will work with you when you're ready for it and I will draw out everything. Yeah. I mean, I think the interest point, yeah. yeah, those interesting stories really are predicated a lot of times on an individual's ability to put themselves in a vulnerable position. You have to be ready for it. Yeah. And And a lot of responsibility comes with that. A lot of care comes with that. You know, yeah, but I think that's one of the keystones to playing a bigger game. You you and I were talking a little bit off mic and you said one of the things you feel very strongly about is having people play a larger game, a bigger game in life. You have to because you think about this and I'm sure everyone has heard this analogy. I mean, if you're a big fish in a fishbowl, you're going to rule that little corner of the world. Mm -hmm. But if as a big fish, you get thrown into the ocean, now you're not the big fish anymore. That's right. And that can be a scary thing. You have to be willing to play bigger. Now, what does that mean? It means thinking and dreaming bigger. Mm -hmm. It means being willing to take action every day. Jack Canfield says in his success principles, do five things every day. Mm -hmm. Five things that will take you closer to a goal every day, whether it's five things that take you closer to one goal or one thing closer to five goals. Mm -hmm. But do five things every day to move you closer to your ultimate dream. And that's really, really important. I think it's also uh, important to surround yourself with people who do think bigger too, so that you can have that rub off on you. A hundred percent. Because let's just say, for example, if your goal is to get in shape and you know, you've probably heard the phrase, you are the average of the five people that you hang around with the most. If you're trying to get in great shape and you're hanging around with five fat slobs, guess what? (laughs) So are you. You're severely crippled. Yes. Eventually. So are you. Yes, exactly. But if you want to experience business success, if you want to experience entrepreneurial success, financial success, you need to hang around people who are financially abundant and find out what they did. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will tell you for free. Sometimes they'll ask you to pay for their time or to be in their coaching program and be willing to pay someone who's paid the dues before you. Right. Some people are, are wantapreneurs. Mm-hmm. Some people are free pull. <laughs> they just want everything for free. Yeah. And I, in fact, I've told my coach because I mean, back when we started, he was barely charging me anything and I'm paying more now, but even still now I tell him, I look forward to the day where I can pay you what you really are worth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's an abundance mindset. Of course. But we also have the internet mindset where everything is available and right. you have young kids coming up thinking everything is just free. You know, yeah. I should just be able to, to take this person's time and not compensate yeah. them. But here's the thing that person paid to curate their body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
and share that in a way that's packaged for you. And that's the key. I think a lot of people forget that it's, even though information is readily available, Mm -hmm. it might be a collection of crap that you don't need to hear at that moment in time. And there might be a process that benefits you. The great thing about the internet is that everyone has a voice. The horrible thing about the internet is that everyone (laughs) Everyone has has a voice. voice. (laughs) Because some people just really need to sit down and shut up. True. They do. Yeah. Now you said something off mic that I found very fascinating. And I want to get if get you to go a little bit deeper on that. You said sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. What does that mean? Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put on a brave face for the world all the time. Mm-hmm. I think as men, we sometimes have a harder time with this, but it's okay to cry once in a while. It's okay to just really own your feelings and just be in touch with that and just ask yourself, what is this telling me? Mm-hmm. What's the lesson here? Or even as Tony Robbins says, what's great about this? Well, there's nothing great about this. No, no. There's there's a seed of opportunity here. What's great about this? What can we take from this? And I know as soon as I say this, I'm going to get tested. Oh, Lord. So, having said that, <laughs> having said that, it's okay to not be okay sometimes because I think it just shows people how real you are. Mm-hmm. And I would also say be, be careful about who you're vulnerable with. I would, I would say that because most people who want to know what's going on are just curious. Most of them don't really care. Right. They're just curious. I made a post on Facebook about that recently, mm. and a lot of people agreed. So tell me a little bit about what you mean by vulnerability. So you're putting yourself out there mm-hmm. as part of it, but what's, yeah. what's the other part of that? I think also if I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm sharing a challenge that I have, I want to make sure that... I'm sharing it with someone who is in a position to help me. Mm. Are they part of the problem or are they part of the solution? If you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, it's really none of your business. Right, right. And that's my guideline. That's my template. If you are not part of the problem and if you are not part of the solution, you don't need to know. That is super interesting. I love the way you framed that. Yeah. It makes it simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at this point in your life, with all the things that you've been involved in, all the things that you're creating and accomplishing, what does success look like for Brian K. Wright? I think, first of all, it's having the time freedom to do what you want to do and be in your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, and there's nothing wrong with working in a job because I did that for years. But you're not chasing your dream when you're working for someone else. You're helping someone else build theirs. And there's a time and a place for that. Right. Because you have to learn skills. You have to learn how to operate in the world. Mm-hmm. I think great leaders are also great followers. You have to learn to be a good follower. That's a great point. You do. There is such a thing as being so maverick that you don't get along with everybody, with anyone and no one wants to work with you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to create your own rules, but when you are oblivious to the fact that there actually are rules, uh, your life gets a lot harder. Mm. So true. So true. You have to recognize the landscape of the playing field. It's like Captain Kirk. Remember in, in, in the Star Trek movies, yes. he was talking, I can't remember which one it was, whether it was, I think it was Star Trek Six Generations, he was talking about the, the scenario in the Academy where no one's ever beaten the scenario. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of it. I do too. Kobashi but it was a battle Maru. scenario, and Captain Kirk yeah. was the first one, and I think a cadet, they were on a away mission, and the cadet said, how did you beat the, how'd you beat the test? He said, I didn't beat the test. I just changed the rules. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, Kobayashi Maru or something like something that. like that. Something crazy like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, those movies were all those old movies were so bad, and then the new ones were a little bit better. But yeah, that was that was such a great way of of looking at it. Yeah. You don't have to play by other people's rules. No, but you have to know what the rules are in order to, to do that. That's true. That's true. If you think there are no rules at all, you're going to step on somebody or, and you're going to get smashed like the bug you probably are. Yeah, because it comes across as if you feel like nothing applies to you personally. Exactly. It's and no one wants selfish. to work. No one wants to work with you. That's true. That's true. Wow. Yeah. That's profound, my friend. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So before my... Before I ask my last question, tell these folks where they can get in touch with you, work with you, and otherwise employ you, should that be an opportunity. Thank you so much, Jason, for asking me that, because not everyone remembers to ask me that. <laughs> so my website is briankwright.com. That's B-R-I-A-N, the letter K, which is my middle initial, W-R-I-G-H-T, briankwright.com. You can message me through my website. You can email me, brian at briankwright.com. Pretty easy. I'm on Facebook on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. But if someone wants to talk to me about um, my radio show, if you're in a real, if you're an amazing high achiever, uh, high achiever, you know someone who's an amazing high achiever that I can mm-hmm. consider, I'd be glad to do that. If someone wants to subscribe to Success Profiles Magazine, they can go to successprofilesmagazine.com. They can read every single issue I've ever done. My two-year anniversary is going to be in December. So you can read every single issue plus all the special edition issues and all the expert calls that I've got loaded in the members area dollar trial for seven days. Uh, If someone wants to talk to me about having their book written for them or they want me to coach them through it, you can also message me through briankwright.com or email me at brian at briankwright.com. So that's basically it. You know, my website or my email, that's the best way to reach out to me. Beautiful. We'll link all that up in the show notes. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. Definitely hope you get some traffic through there. Yeah. And the last question is always the same, and that's simply this. What does wellness mean to you? I think wellness has to do with being of sound mind, body, and spirit. Mm. I think it has to do with doing things that promote the positive aspects of all those things. And this is something that I'm, I'm learning right now. I have actually lost 44 pounds in the last four and a half months. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And I'm not focusing on what I can't eat or don't want to eat. I'm focusing on the things that I can't eat. So a lot of protein. I'm shying away, not, not, redu- not, not cutting out completely, but shying further away from bread, pasta, rice, and sugar. Mm -hmm. And I do love my treats. And so instead of focusing on, oh, I can't have ice cream, I can't have cookies, I'll do that like maybe once a week, just not every day. Right. It's moderated a little bit. It's made a huge difference. Fantastic. I appreciate that. Thank you, and thank you for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate being able to jump into your world a little bit and learn a little bit about your life. I'm always fascinated how people go from point A to point wherever they are right now. Yeah. You know, especially another small town boy. I'm, I'm the same sort of a situation. So guys, be sure and jump into Brian's world if you're interested in learning more about the Success Profiles Radio, Success Profiles Magazine. If you're interested in writing your book, being coached, or having one ghostwritten, be sure and check him out. We'll have everything linked up in the show notes. And until then, guys, be well. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are 
a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.